Hello, this is Brad Redderson, and welcome to Sternova's Interview Series, an audio program exploring the intersection between cutting-edge business strategies and the innovations that can ignite business growth. It's one of several podcast series on the subject of strategic innovation in business offered by Sternova, a resource group dedicated to helping you achieve and capitalize on the incredible potential available for your own business. With our over 30 years of experience leading innovation, we know what it takes to turn ideas into profits. Please visit us to learn more at www.stranova.com. And now, please join us for this week's episode of Stranova's Interview Series. For this episode of Stranova, we're going to talk about a regional community with over 7 million residents in a relatively compact geographical area, some of the brightest and ambitious high-tech entrepreneurs in all the world, and an economy with surprising resilience over many years. No, I am not talking about America's Silicon Valley. I am talking about the country of Israel, birthplace of some of the most innovative technologies on the planet, and now celebrating its 60th year of existence. In the Internet age, Israel has given us everything from ICQ, one of the first major instant messaging services anywhere, to unique technologies driving everything from telecommunications to rapid Internet downloads. Like Silicon Valley, Israel has a unique culture of entrepreneurship, driven in part by the nature of its birth shortly after the end of World War II, with a national character driven to succeed and grow in spite of some of the most significant challenges any nation could expect to face during its early years of existence. And part of it is because of a national emphasis on technology, with outstanding university engineering programs, numerous government-sponsored technology business incubators, and a well-funded, highly technically trained military. Another way in which Israel and Silicon Valley are similar is in how tightly connected its technology innovators are to each other. For many, this starts during the mandatory government military service every citizen participates in as young adults, a time when some of the most formative technical learning takes place outside of educational institutions. Friendships, respect, and learning all grow together. And when recruits complete their service, those friendships often continue for a lifetime, including numerous opportunities to work together going forward. Further, as the Internet has become fully integrated into Israeli life, the high-tech community in the country is, if anything, one of the most avid about making use of all their social connections and Internet tools to stay as tightly connected as possible. What this all seeds is a highly entrepreneurial business ecosystem where there are at most two degrees of separation between most technical innovators as opposed to the six degrees of separation we talk about elsewhere in the world. It is also a highly charged ecosystem, constantly in entrepreneurial turmoil as older companies pass on and newer companies emerge even more rapidly. One of the challenges of that ecosystem, however, is that, unlike Silicon Valley, for example, the very youth of Israel's network of innovators has made it difficult for them to get beyond just creating great technology and on to creating great large companies based on those technologies. Why that happens is a complex issue, starting with the obvious that Israel's innovators' own lack of experience building great businesses tends to produce further companies which are missing one or more ingredients and or processes to make the next generation of business more successful. Another part 
is an effect somewhat peculiar to Israel's high-tech universe that those entrepreneurs who are most successful are far less likely to move to a next serial entrepreneurial opportunity than their counterparts elsewhere. They instead often move into investing. So the valuable learning they gain the first time out is rarely plowed back into a second successful startup. As I said, this is a complex issue, but it is an important one as it illustrates some of the most important challenges of how a high-tech community grows up, with special importance to those looking at regional high-tech ecosystems everywhere. To help us understand it with a bit more depth, we spoke with Mr. Shai Schiller, a very successful Israeli serial entrepreneur, about the nature of Israeli high-tech and how it may evolve in the future. Mr. Schiller has helped found and or led major enterprises in a number of companies with special emphasis in the telecommunications field. In the past, he held the roles of VP of the Asia-Pacific and International Networks area at Converse, a leader in the converged world of technologies linking computers and telecommunications, CEO of Emblaze, and other organizations. He currently serves multiple roles in several companies, including as chairman and CEO of Modula Limited, part of the investment management industry. We spoke with Mr. Schiller at his home, just north of Tel Aviv, Israel. Well, Shai, welcome to Stranova. Thank you, I'm happy to be here. Well, you've been in the high-tech industry in Israel for quite some time, back to the early days of very modern revolution, and I figured a great place to start would be for you to tell us a little bit about your perspectives on what are some of the things that are working well in high-tech in the country, and maybe where you see some things not working as well. Well, I guess in retrospect, I got involved in the high-tech industry in Israel way before uh, the days of the you know, startups as we see them today, being backed up by VCs, etc. In the early days, it was mostly about building products, mostly based on technology. In my case, it was mostly telecom and IT and trying to sell them. In the early days, it used to be about basically trying to develop products based on you know heavy technology. A lot of the people came out of technological units in the army and trying to sell it to selected customers and trying to build companies. Mostly it was project-based, on, on, based on project-by-project project basis. Today, uh, what we are seeing is a lot of activity around financed ideas. It's easier to get money. There are about a billion dollars on average per year being invested in startups. There are probably 1,400 companies in this arena today in Israel. Most of the money comes from venture capital, both in Israel and elsewhere. So it's a lot easier actually to start a company and try. However, some of the basic problems have not changed in the last 20-25 years. Israel is a very good place when it comes to creativity, I guess, disruptive technologies, trials, etc. When it comes to building large companies in Israel, for the most part, we don't have the managerial and executional skills to build large companies. If you look at the Israeli companies that made it and became uh, world leaders, there are not too many. Teva, Mercury used to be one, Elbit, Amdocs perhaps in the billing arena, etc. But most companies ended up being sold to larger players, and uh, if you look at the number of M&As, you can see that about 10 to 15 large companies, the likes of HP, Cisco, etc., Microsoft, are buying a lot of companies in Israel. So it really means that when it comes to execution, at some point we reach some sort of glass ceiling, and in many ways it's because of lack of experience, 
and ability and know-how on how to build large companies. We are very good when it comes to solving problems. We are very creative. We are great at fixes and turnarounds and things like that. But we don't have the experience as well as perhaps the behavioral nature of being patient and think and plan long term. And that is something that I'm not sure if it can be fixed. A lot of it has to do with the Israeli temper of impatience right here and now, immediate gratification, etc. A lot of it has to do perhaps with the history of the Jewish people, you know, coming to a new country, starting from scratch and wanting to get to the same level with everybody else as quickly as possible. But it's good enough and there are a lot that we can actually build on even with these qualities and issues. And as a result, you can see that I'm not sure how many Israeli companies are being traded or being listed right now in Nasdaq, but it's a very high number. I believe it's a hundred and some. So end of the day, it's pretty successful, but it has issues. And we work with what we have. Well, one description that has been raised for the way to think of the Israel technology industry is a lot of technology that, even to your point, you know, cash is available and provided to them early on. But turning them into a company with a product stream, revenue stream, that sort of thing is far less common. Do you see that yourself? Yes. Uh, Actually, you see that a lot when you're involved in the VC industry in Israel. When you look at companies in the U.S., for example, a major criteria is a market need and the business model. And is it going to be a big business? And what are the competitors doing, etc.? So a lot of the issues are going to be uh, market-related. In Israel, a lot of the issues are technology-related. When a venture capitalist invests in a company in Israel, they are looking for an unfair technological advantage because they know that they're going to have issues with execution and they know that they're not going to have the best salespeople, perhaps, and the best managers, etc. So they are looking for advantages and for some differentiation in the technology itself. In other countries, sometimes people invest in companies where it's all about execution and distribution and branding and business model and relationships, etc. Second issue is that when you look at the group that financed these companies, they can't help. If you get finance from a Kleiner Perkins or a Sequoia or Red Point or a USVP, etc., they can help you with relationship with other portfolio companies they have. They have relationship with the bankers, with the main customers, etc. And most Israeli VCs don't have that. So what they are trying to do is they are trying to create relationships with overseas VCs, etc. to try to help and bridge that gap. Second issue is managers. When you are hiring managers for a good company in the U.S., you can have access to people that worked for large and successful companies, been there and done that before. It is an issue in Israel. You cannot find a lot of executives in Israel that been there, done that. Mostly what they do is they have one great success and then they become investors themselves and they do all sorts of other things. So it's very hard to find uh, serial entrepreneurs that are very successful that wants to be, you know, CEO over and over again. And it's a very different environment and very different culture than other countries. In other countries, you can find a 45-year-old man that is a professional sales manager. And this is what they do. This is what they're good at. They love it. And they can do the same job over and over in different companies. In Israel, it's a bit different. 
it's all the time you have to have an upward movement and you become a CEO and you make some money and then you become an investor. It will be very hard to find people that do the same thing over and over again for different companies. And that's because just of sociological issues and people, people just so. don't want to... Don't I, want to do that. I believe that it has to do with this issue that I mentioned of instant gratification, wanting to, to have a quick fix and having no history, uh, no financial history. This country started from scratch 60 years ago. Everybody that came in here had nothing. They left everything behind and they feel on par with everybody else worldwide. Some of them feel maybe even, you know, very smart and very talented and they want to have it all. So they are trying to condense into a one lifetime, sometimes a few generations. And you can see that. You can see a lot of people that are hyperactive, working very hard, trying to do this and that, and they, and, and they want it all, and they want it now. And it is a very different way of living than in North Europe, for example, or South Europe, not to mention you know, Spain and Italy, where people value leisure and reading and vacations. Most working people in Israel, especially in the high tech, don't take vacations. They work six or seven days a week. They take phone calls at night. They fly on a day's notice to the other side of the world, in economy sometimes. And they work very hard. And it's all about this drive, this urgent drive to make it and to fulfill all the stuff that, you know, that everybody else does. It's interesting, as you describe that, that it reminds me a lot of the bubble years in Silicon Valley, where, as examples, I was brought in at Silicon Graphics in 2000 to work on a number of things. There have been some challenges because of projects being canceled and downsizing and so on to try to look at it strategically to regrow it. And I remember I was interviewing managers from other companies that maybe were trying to convince to come to Silicon Graphics. And examples of problems I ran into, I talked to somebody, say, in their late 20s, and they were genuinely upset because they hadn't made their first million dollars. And then the other telltale thing was I was looking for people who know how to grow companies because that was a criteria for me. So I would ask them, how have you developed your team? How do you make sure that next year they're better than they were this year and that they're constantly growing, they're constantly pushing and doing new things? And I remember one answer that cut the whole interview day short for the person involved but they said, I've actually never been in a company more than a year and a half anyway, so it's never been relevant. <laughs> I think you're right. In many ways, Silicon Valley during the bubble years is what we experience here. People judge themselves comparatively to their peers. And if your peers are uh, driving a nicer car, you know, and maybe they have a nicer house and a better salary, in Israel it's very apparent because everybody knows everybody. The degree of separation in Israel is, I don't know, maybe two. So everybody knows everybody, and if you are doing a great job and getting a decent salary, you're not going to be happy unless you are doing a bit better than your neighbor. I may be exaggerating a little bit, of course. But, I mean, the essence of it is that a lot of people judge themselves relative to their peers. And since everybody knows everybody, it's an issue. It's important. And in my opinion, and I'm saying that after being in this red race for many years, but I'm looking at my life now, and I realized that I would have loved to spend more time with my two kids when they were young and you know, maybe going on more vacations because when I look at life collectively, it's a collection of great moments and I don't have enough that are not work-related. I wish I had more. So I'm trying to fix it right now. In the last couple of years, I'm doing a lot of other things. 
but it wasn't the case. I mean, I worked very hard for many years and I'm not so proud about it. I don't think that's the only thing in life. But most Israelis would look at me saying that and say he's crazy or he's lucky or maybe, you know, I don't know. Most Israelis wouldn't get it. I mean, they work hard because they have to, because they have to make it. Well, as you describe the situation in the country, it would seem like, I guess maybe a way of describing this is that the high-tech community is ripe for a takeover because you have great talent that could be in another context really put to great use and great possibility. So I'm surprised a little bit that the venture capital companies haven't taken on more of the model of what they are in the United States where, like, say, Kleiner Perkins describes themselves as a service organization, that they are here to help you add management, add talent, fill out your capabilities, and build this into a business, not just a technology. First of all, I have to say that some of them do. Mm -hmm. In the last 10 years, we've seen quite a few international brands coming in. Sequoia, Benchmark, Excel, Battery Ventures, Greylock, etc. And it does have an effect. So it is changing. The second phenomenon that we see that is really positive, we see a lot of Israelis that have spent years with companies elsewhere and were part of bigger organizations and they are coming back. So they may not be CEOs when they come back. However, they have an effect and it's a positive effect. So slowly it is changing and for the better. However, it's an issue of how fast it's going to happen. And the other issue about Israel that I have to mention is that a lot of investors in Israel don't have the discipline to let go of bad investments. We are fighters. We don't let go. We make it better. We fix it. We, you know, we get involved hands-on and turn it around. But it's not necessarily the right thing to do. And the investors in the U.S. are doing it for 30 or 40 years, they are more disciplined. And from a portfolio management retrospect, they are doing a better job. They let go of the bad apples. Because what happens in a typical portfolio, you have 20 companies. Two are good home runs, or one is a home run. Three are going to make a nice return. You have another seven that you have to work very hard on to make anything. And you have another seven that you should really have never invested in or let go as soon as possible. And what happens for us is we spend most of our time on these last seven trying to fix it, trying to bring more money, trying to change the model. So, end of the day, it is a matter of discipline. It is a matter of a strategic outlook rather than fighting. And we fight for every small company. It's very hard for us to let go. And we know it. It is something that, I guess, an issue of maturity and also an issue of experience. I think maybe over time, in 10 years, it would be different. No, a lot of things take time to actually evolve past that point. You're right that it's still a young country and still learning what it's best at. I guess the good news about having such a creative and tenacious spirit is that they will continue to generate new ideas that continue to bring in more income. And Absolutely. it's not like the country is going to tend to go under the way that we go through cycles in the United States. I am now curious about, from your own standpoint, what your getting yourself involved in these days because you've been doing all these years and yes I know spending more time with your kids and all that too they don't want uh, to spend time with me now <laughs> <laughs> they're old enough so yeah. said, yeah, that's true they passed that point where they're endearing want to crawl up into your lap yeah. well personally other than my hobbies I have a major hobby which is breeding and raising horses getting started on a turnaround fund what I'm looking for there are about three to four hundred companies right now in Israel that have you know, gotten maybe $20 million, $30 million in investment. They have a product. It is there, you know, selling a few millions, etc. 
but something happened along the way. Investor fatigue, the market change, business models change, competitors came in, and what I'm doing with these companies is getting involved hands-on for about a quarter to two, changing the business around, bringing new management, and trying to release them by way of M&A that is under the radar, about 50 to 100 million each. What it allows investors is to get great returns if they come in for the turnaround, and for the original investors, it allows them to maybe get their money back safely. That's what I'm doing. I've been doing it for three years now on a company-by-company company basis, and now I'm going to try to do that by way of a turnaround fund. And what's the name of the fund again? The name of the fund is not yet decided. Ah. It is going to start this summer. So we have a couple options here, but it's not yet decided. So people should just continue to Google Shai Schiller to find out what happened <laughs> in our next episode. Hopefully we are starting to see companies in the 1st of June, and we are starting to work with our own money, and we are hoping to raise about $100 million along the way. Oh, excellent. Well, what I can promise the community out there is that I will be entering a blog entry about this along with the podcast. And when we actually know the name of this, I'll write a little note so that people can, you know. can, can find that. Well, thank you, Shai, very much for your time today. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. After hearing this interview, you can see why we said the whole concept of the Israeli high-tech business universe is a complex topic. Mr. Schiller has noted the incredible innovative capability of the Israeli people and given us some understanding of its deep roots. He has also noted a number of key socio-cultural issues that have limited the ability to grow large companies from even the deepest of these roots. And he has shown how all of this is in flux, with stimulus from changed agendas by the VCs, the growing interconnection with other countries, and a maturation of the Israeli business leadership over time. There are many lessons here for all entrepreneurs and regional planners, with everything from noting how the Israeli high-tech community networks together to drive innovation, to understanding some of the ways our own entrepreneurial drive can sometimes limit the success of both our own enterprises and those of others. We hope these thoughts will help you understand those issues further and offer even more food for thought for those planning the growth of their own regional business ecosystems everywhere. That's our show for this time, and thanks for listening. We thank you for joining us for this episode of Stranova's podcast series. If you'd like to learn more about Stranova's business services and the topics discussed in this week's episode, please visit us at www.stranova.com, write us at ideas at stranova.com, or visit our blog at blog.stranova.com. Our program materials are covered by a Creative Commons license, the Attribution Non-Commercial Non-Derivatives 2.5 license by Brad Redderson. And this is Brad Redderson inviting you to join us soon for a future audio program exploring where strategy and innovation intersect.